Well, hey, good morning, Be Free. Welcome. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at Be Free Community Church in Alton. And as Charlotte said just a minute ago, we are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples. That is who we are, that's what we do, and that's how we do it. Last week, right after this worship gathering video, we all moved over uh, to Zoom to have our annual business meeting. And this was a time where all of us, both members and regular attenders, came together uh, to reflect on the year that's passed, to try to remember things that places where we saw God at work in 2020. And it was also a time for us to look forward to 2021, to think together about where God might be leading us this year. Uh, finally, this was a time for all of us, uh, specifically the members, to vote on a ballot uh, for officers for this coming year and then also on the budget for the coming year. On the ballot this year was Rob Oblinas, Chris Kane for elders, Jeff Lucht for the financial representative, and I'm excited to report to you that the vote was unanimous to approve those officers and the budget for 2021. Uh, I'm just thankful for the sign of unity this shows within our church family. And so I'm praying now uh, that God would help us continue to walk in unity, even though uh, the world, it seems, is pull, trying to pull us apart. So let's pause now. Before getting into our passage, just to thank God for what he is doing in our church family, but then also to prepare our hearts as we get into Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for what you're doing in our church family. No, this, this isn't normal. This is not a normal time. This Nothing feels normal about the season, but at the same time, Father, as we saw at the business meeting, you are working. You are working in ways that, uh, in some ways that we were planning, <laughs> things like ministries in our church and, and gatherings, but at the same time, you're working in many ways that we were not expecting, many ways that we that we weren't planning. And so, Father, please continue to work in our family. Keep our hearts soft and tender to the leading of your Spirit. Show us the way forward. And, Father, I pray that when you do, you would help us obey. And, Father, please keep us united in all things as we walk through 2021 together. And, Father, now turning our attention to what we're going to look at here in Acts chapter 2. Uh, we recognize that we're going to read a passage here that is it's really remarkable. Uh, we might say that it's a turning point in your interaction with us, with humans. Father, we pray that as we read it, we would keep our hearts soft and that we would not walk away the same people we were when we came to this passage. Father, change us in this passage. Conform us into your image. In other words, make us look more like you. We pray you do this, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think it's hard for us to overestimate the importance of this passage. But rather than diving straight into the passage, let me start by painting the picture for you. I, I want you to imagine that you're a Christian. And you are a part of this community of 120 believers who witnessed the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who witnessed the ascension of Jesus, and who traveled after his ascension from the top of Mount Carmel into Jerusalem and are all together in this upper room together. 
And when we say that this is a group of 120 Christians, we're not talking about a local church. We're talking about the church. This group of 120 Christians that you're a part of, it's not the local church. It's the universal church. Every Christian is together in this one room waiting for the day that the Holy Spirit will come and drive you forward on mission. Uh, and what makes that statement so amazing is how small this group is in comparison to the size of the task that's before you. You're 120 people and your mission is what? To bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh no big deal, to the ends of the earth. And so you're all together in this upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, praying and preparing for the mission that's ahead of you. And as we're all together in this upper room, you can hear voices from the street down below floating in through your window. Remember in that time, there was no sheet glass, no panes of glass in the window. So whatever was happening in the street, you could hear inside. And as you're all together in that room, you can hear out in the street voices and the voices are louder than usual. But also the voices are different than they usually sound like. There's many different languages uh, being spoken out in the street. The reason why there is a louder volume in many different languages happening out in the street uh, is because in Jerusalem, it's the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a Jewish festival. Um, it was a holiday that happened exactly 50 days, Penta, 50 days after the Passover. And Jews from all over uh, the world really descended upon Jerusalem like Bostonians on the bay. And the, the size of Jerusalem swells two to three times its normal size. So Jerusalem is bustling, bustling with Jewish pilgrims. But you and the other Christians are inside, waiting for the Spirit, preparing to get sent out. Now at the same time, you're probably all together wondering amongst yourselves, what exactly is this going to be like? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to look like when the Holy Spirit descends upon you? Because obviously, this has never happened before. You've never witnessed the Spirit of God come in power. You've, you've witnessed the, God Himself come in the flesh. But what's it going to be like when God comes in power and the Holy Spirit to dwell in you? Well, you think back to the Old Testament. Because you're a good Jew. You know the stories of the Old Testament. And you can think back to... Stories like when God came to Abraham, your forefather. In Genesis chapter 15, we hear the story about how God came to Abraham uh, and he appeared as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And maybe you're, you can think back to Exodus chapter 3 when God came to Moses uh, as, a, as a burning bush. Or maybe you can think back to uh, Exodus chapter 14 where God appeared to the people of Israel and led them in the wilderness as a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. So perhaps when God comes and descends upon you, now he's going to come in fire and, and smoke. Who knows? But also, you think back to the Old Testament, you think about passages like in the book of Ezekiel. When God came to the prophet Ezekiel, uh, and showed him in a vision a huge valley of bones. And you remember how in that prophecy, God sent a wind through that valley, and that as it blew, these bones reformed into human bodies with, with flesh and, and blood, and how God breathed new life into these people, and how it represented a new reborn people of Israel. And so maybe you wonder to yourself, hey, maybe that's what this is going to be like. 
Maybe it's going to be a, a wind of new life blowing into us and making us the people of God. But who knows? You can guess, you can wonder, but at the end of the day, all you can do is wait. So there you are together, 120 believers together in one room, waiting. That's where we're at when we come to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So let me start by just reading those passages. Join me, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's what we just saw. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were staying. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So all these Christians, they're all together when all of a sudden they hear something, they see something, and then they do something. They hear something, they see something, then they do something. First, what do they hear? Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Guys, just notice the details that we see here. We see a couple things. First, that sound came suddenly. It came without warning. They are waiting, and all of a sudden... It came. Secondly, that sound, it came from heaven. That's significant. After all, Jesus just rose back up into heaven to send the Spirit. The fact that this wind sound is, or is coming from heaven is significant. It means it's a reminder that Jesus is the one who is sending this. And finally, the last thing we see is that the sound was like a mighty rushing wind. And I love the way that Luke says that here because it reminds us and it hints to us that what was happening in that room, Luke couldn't actually describe that well. He doesn't say exactly how it sounded. Rather, he says what it sounded like. It sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Who knows? I mean, if we were there, maybe we would say that it sounded like a jet engine. <laughs> we don't know what it sounded like exactly. It's just compared to wind. What we do know is that it was a loud, powerful rushing. So that's what they hear. What do they see? Join me in verse 3 and 4. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They hear a sound of a mighty rushing wind. They see fire descending from heaven. Now, if you were to get on to Google Images right now and try to pull up a picture of how painters have, have tried to depict this scene, you get a lot of different images. You sometimes see ribbons descending from the sky. Sometimes you see little candle flames on the top of people's heads. But the same thing is true of this description of the tongues of fire as the mighty rushing wind before. Luke doesn't seem to know exactly how to describe it. He says divided tongues as of fire. It's just the best way that he could think to describe what he's seeing here. What we know is that this is a symbol of God's presence descending on his people. He can't quite explain how it looks, but he does know what it means. Jesus's promise is coming true. The Spirit of God is descending on the people of God, to dwell in them individually, coming upon each of them, it says. And so I feel the need right here to pause for a moment just to repeat that it's hard to overstate just how momentous this passage is, how important this moment is 
and the history of God's relationship with humanity. And we're going to draw out all the implications of this passage, or at least many of them in a few moments here. But first, be free. Let's continue to push through this story. Because these Christians, they hear the sound, they, they see these tongues of fire, and then they do something. What do they do? Join me in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in, in his own native language? Parthians and, and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? I remember a number of years ago I was overseas uh, in a place where English was not spoken. Um, and I was actually traveling at that time by myself. And so I was in a place where nobody was speaking English and uh, had no friends with me to speak English to me. Uh, and so I remember I was walking through a really busy part of the town. It was the main square right in the middle of the town. And it was just hustle and bustle everywhere. People crowding in on every side of me. This was obviously before COVID. And nowhere around me was anyone speaking English. But then as I walked, I heard at a distance and not all that loud, somebody speaking English. I caught just a word or two of it, but as soon as I heard my own native tongue being spoken, my attention was snatched over to the people speaking English, and I turned to look at who they were. I'm sure that many of you have had that experience as well. If you've ever been somewhere where English was not spoken, you hear words of your own native tongue, and it snatches your attention. Now here in Acts chapter 2, we hear about the apostles going and speaking in other tongues. That, that's, that's plural. And so it, it, I don't think that Luke is trying to say that they're speaking some kind of heavenly language. Rather, I think he's just trying to say that the Spirit of God in them empowered them to speak a multitude of different earthly languages. Because remember, Jerusalem was filled with people from all over who spoke all kinds of different languages. I'm going to put a map up here so that you can see all the places where people came from as I reread verses 9 through 11. Let me read this. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. All of these Jews from all over the known world had descended upon Jerusalem. And as they're there in the hubbub, they hear <laughs> faintly perhaps, and maybe from a distance, a word or two of their own native language. And the same thing happens to them as happened to me when I was overseas. Their attention is snatched. 
and they turn to look who it is that's speaking their language. Maybe they look to see if it's somebody that they traveled here with, somebody they knew from home. But when they look, what do they see? They see locals. And actually they say this, are not all those, all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? They look over and they see men from Israel, from Galilee, the northern part of the land of Israel, speaking their own native language from all over the known world. And it says in this passage that they're amazed. It says they're perplexed, astonished, bewildered, and ask, what does this mean? And so I think they did what any of us would do. They go over to get a closer look, to hear what these men are saying, and to just figure out what is going on. And when they go over, what do they find? They find that these men are declaring the mighty works of God. That's what Luke says. The mighty works of God. That is what they're speaking. I think it's safe to assume, be free, that while it doesn't go into detail of exactly what the mighty works of God are, I don't think they were talking about God's creation of the world. I don't think they were talking about the Exodus. I don't think they were talking about any other story from the Old Testament that you can, can think of. When these men were speaking about the mighty works of God, they were most likely telling the story of the mighty work of God in Jesus Christ about his life, his ministry, the preaching, the things he declared, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his ushering in of this new kingdom. That was probably the message they were declaring to all these people from all over the known world right there in Jerusalem. And I just can't help but point this out. Jesus told these Christians to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. But as soon as the Holy Spirit comes, they can't help but immediately rush out and begin the mission that they have been given. Right here, right away, they begin bearing witness to the mighty works of God. Bearing witness to what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so all these visitors, they hear these, they they see this happen and and they hear what they're saying. But some others, they're trying to search for an explanation of what is actually happening here. And so some people assume that this group of people is drunk. They say in verse 2, verse 13, but many others mocked, saying they are filled with new wine. And so Peter, who's already shown himself to be a leader in this community, now he stands up to defend the community, but then also to turn his attention to bearing witness himself about what's actually going on here. And so this is the first Christian sermon. Let me read it to you, the first little bit. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. Join me there. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Galilee and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was ushered, sorry, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the Christians are speaking in all these different languages and people come gathering. And some people are marvel at what, what's happening. They're trying to figure it out. They're astonished while others dismiss what's going on, uh, saying that these people are just drunk. But Peter stands up and he says to the crowds, do not dismiss what's happening here. This is not intoxication. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, Peter can speak that directly to this crowd. Because this isn't a crowd of people off the street who have a whole lot of different worldviews and, and faiths. This is a group of Jews. This is a group of people who know the Old Testament prophecies. There are a group of people who might even know this prophecy of Joel. Uh, it's a group of people who have been waiting 500 years for the day that the Holy Spirit would be poured out in power, poured out without discrimination on sons and daughters, young, old, slave, and free, as it says here, upon everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So he says to them clearly, this is not intoxication. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is what you have been waiting for. Now, as far as our passage be free today, we're actually going to stop right here and then turn around and look back because Peter's sermon does continue and we're going to get to that next week. There's just too much for us to unpack today. But let's unpack what we've seen so far because in this passage, the Holy Spirit come and Peter declares to everyone, this is the fulfillment of what God has foretold 500 years before in Joel chapter 2. And I've already said a couple times, it's hard to overstate just how momentous this is in the history of God's interaction with humanity. But for the rest of our time, as we unpack this together, I'm going to focus on three things that are happening in this moment. Three things that happen the moment that the Spirit comes and dwells in humanity. Let's start with one. Number one, in this moment when the Spirit comes, it is God's moving day. In other words, it's the day that God moves into his new home. Let's just think about what we see in the history of the Bible for a moment. Right at the beginning of the Bible, uh, when God created the world, he dwelt in close relationship with humanity, with Adam and Eve. They dwelt together in the garden, and it was, it was utopian. It was, it was the world as it should be. That was the way God made the world to be. But when sin entered in, when Adam and Eve sinned, it drove a wedge in their relationship between them and God. And the holy God couldn't be in close, intimate relationship with sinful people. But all the same, God didn't give up on his people. Rather, God chose one family and decided that he would make them his people and that he would be their God and that he would dwell with them in a tent and later in a building called a temple. And what, what this means is that God dwelt with his people, but all the same, it wasn't the same type of intimate 
relationship that he had with Adam and Eve. Now, he was amongst his people, he had relationship with his people, uh, but he had to stay behind a curtain. They could only interact with him through priests who uh, did sacrifices to purify themselves. So he dwelt amongst them at the time. But then a little bit later, God came and dwelt amongst his people in the flesh as Jesus Christ. Jesus came and dwelt amongst these sinful people because he came to deal with the sins of these people, to take their sins, to die for their sins on their behalf so that they would be pure and able to enter into perfect relationship with the God of the universe once again. So once he dealt with sin and once we believed in him, we are left pure and the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us, live in us. That's what's happening in this passage. Be free. What an encouragement. What a, what, a, what a comfort. And what other religion offers this type of hope? What other religion offers this intimate relationship where the God of the universe comes and, and makes his home in us? This kind of companionship, hope, and peace. Other religions, they have temples. In Christianity, we are temples. God lives in us. In other religions, they have priests who interact with their God on people's behalf. But in our faith, in Christianity, Jesus Christ is our priest. Our great high priest who offered a sacrifice once for all so we could be pure and entered into the presence of God. And I feel, be free, that this reality that God comes and dwells in us is more, even more comforting at this time of COVID than usual. Because COVID has physically separated us from the people that we are closest to. We might see people in our own household, but beyond that, we're really limited in the interactions we have. And so right now, it is all the more encouraging, all the more comforting to remember that nothing can ever separate us from the presence of our God. Nothing can ever take the Holy Spirit away from us. He is with us all the time and he is ready at any moment to speak with us to encourage us to comfort us and to remind us of the joy that we have by being adopted as sons and daughters of god so that's the first thing that happened in the moment when the spirit came in that moment god came to dwell in us he made his home in us Number two, this moment, the moment the Spirit come, came, it marks the beginning of the end. It marks the beginning of the end. Let me explain what I mean by that. In the Old Testament, specifically in the prophecies, we hear over and over again about this expression, the day of the Lord. And whenever we hear about the day of the Lord, it's talking about the day that God will come to accomplish his final victory, to defeat his enemies, to judge all evil, to restore a perfect peace in this world, and to establish his glorious eternal kingdom. This is the moment that all of history has been moving forward towards. And this is the moment that God's people have been longing for for generations and generations. But what we see from Joel chapter 2 is that before that day comes, the Spirit was going to be poured out, it says, in the last days. That's what it says right here in verse 17. And so now that the Spirit has come, it marks for us the beginning 
of the end. It shows us that the final days have come. And that's why when we read verses 19 and 20 here, it starts sounding a lot like the book of Revelation because we are moving forward, getting closer and closer and closer to the day of the Lord. And while this might sound scary to us, in reality, it is a huge comfort and encouragement to us, especially as we look around the world and see what a mess it's in. We have to be reminded constantly that though the world is a mess right now, it's not going to be that way for long. We are living in the last days. Every day we are coming closer and closer and closer to the day that Jesus Christ is going to show up again in the clouds to set all things right, to remove all wrong, to wipe away all tears, and to usher in a new kingdom of shalom. So be free. If you are discouraged today by what you see in the world, in your family, in your own heart, be encouraged and be comforted. Because while things might not be perfect right now, they will not be that way for long. Jesus is coming. And so we should pray together as a church continually, Come, Lord Jesus. Finish your kingdom make all things right. We long for that day. And so number one, when the Spirit came, it was the moment that God came to dwell in us. Number two, when the Spirit came, it was the moment that marked the beginning of the end. Number three, when the Spirit came, it was the moment that marked the beginning of our mission. The moment that marked the beginning of our mission. Because after all, as soon as the Spirit came, as we saw a little bit ago, the disciples, they did not waste a second. They immediately rushed out into Jerusalem to declare the mighty works of God. They were fulfilling the first step of our mission to go from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. They start by going to Jerusalem on that day, bearing witness and on that day, starting in Jerusalem, the witness of these disciples began to multiply from nation to nation, from continent to continent, from mouth to mouth, from family to family. On that day, the mission of Jesus Christ began to echo through the world. And it has continued to spread in word and deed down through the centuries, down through the millennia, until today. Until somebody proclaimed the gospel to you until somebody showed you the love of Jesus Christ. And now we are able to join in this mission by the power of the Holy Spirit as well. We continue to bear witness, be free, with our words, speaking the message of the mighty works of God, of Jesus Christ's life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection and continuing to live as citizens of his kingdom, displaying the love of Jesus Christ to the world. Be free, when the Holy Spirit came, it marked the moment where God came to dwell in us. It marked the moment that marks the beginning of the end, and it was the moment that marks the beginning of our mission. But maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you're hearing all of this and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't even know if I, if I believe 
yet. I don't even know if I, if I buy this message of who Jesus is. Well, rather than just asking you to wait till next week when, when Peter is going to really dig into the message of Jesus Christ and what he did, bear witness to him today, be free. I want to bear witness to you. If you don't know Jesus, I want to bear the message to you of what Jesus did on our behalf. Because the message that has echoed through the world is this. God loves you. He came into the world, even though we are broken, even though we are sinful, he came to die for you. He loved you so much that even though we are rebels against him, even though we don't obey his law, even though we don't submit to his lordship, he came and died on the cross paying for all of our sin, paying for our rebellion, removing all of our sin if we would just trust in him by faith. And when he died on the cross, he wiped away our guilt, receiving the punishment in our place. And then three days later, he rose again, victorious over death, so that you and I, by faith, can share in his eternal, everlasting life. This is the message that has echoed through the centuries, starting that day in Jerusalem and continuing until today. Be free. This is the message of Jesus Christ that we must continue to bear witness to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, no matter how many times we reflect on the message of what you have done on our behalf, sending your Son to wipe away our sins, sending your Spirit to live within us, it will never get old to us. Father, the life we have is only ours because it has been given to us by you, by grace. Father, we have done nothing to earn it. And we also know, Lord, that once you sent your spirit, it was not the end of the story. God, that Jesus is still reigning on the throne in heaven, waiting for the day that he will come again in glory. So, Father, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring all things to their intended end. Fix all that is broken. And may your spirit give us comfort and drive our mission until the day he comes again. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.